with the one and only <laughs> one, yes. Andrew Harvey. We're going to shoot something. We're going to film something where one of us is going to play the one and the other is going to be the devotee seeker and we're going to go through the whole process together. And then we're going to sue each other virally. And because, uh, yeah, because I made up the term one and you claim now... I claim that I telepathically communicated it to him because, of course, he's enslaved to my yogic powers without knowing it. Yeah, that'll work out really well in the courtroom. Kind of really talk on the new age. <laughs> do great in the court. Um, okay, so what, so what we're going to talk about today is Andrew's uh, new book, Becoming yes. God. Becoming God, 108 Translations from Angelus Silesius. Can you show us the cover of the book? Because the book is the book Look, out. My friends, it's out. It's available on Amazon. I brought it out myself because I wanted to get it in exactly the shape that I cared most about. Because yeah. Angelus Silesius, who's a 17th century German mystic, isn't somebody you've probably ever heard about. But Angelus Silesius is one of the world's greatest universal mystics, and he's something even more important, which is what the book is about. He is one of those evolutionary mystics that give us a direct glimpse into what's going on, I believe, at the deepest levels of our own crisis. That's why I've been obsessed with him for 40 years. That's why I spent 20 years translating 800 of the epigrams. That's why I burned all my translations because I didn't like them. That's why I went through a kind of revolution in the Namibian desert. That's why I produced 108 of these astounding telegrams from superconsciousness that he left us, because I believe that Angelus Silesius is incredibly important to us right now, because what we're living through right now isn't just a tremendous, shattering, paralyzing, awful, searing, ghastly, disgusting death of everything, which of course it is. But it's also, and this is what the situation is, this is what makes the situation so completely insane and in a glorious way as well as a terrible way. It's also the birth of a new humanity, an embodied divine humanity that is being born in the middle of the chaos. And I know hundreds of thousands of people who know that there is an evolutionary shift happening because it's happening inside them. And it's not just a shift in consciousness. And this is one of the reasons why I love you, my friend, and I love the incredible work that you're doing in Grounded Spirituality. This is a shift in the understanding of spirituality itself. Yep, this absolutely. is a major, major leap forward into embodied transcendence, into a consciousness that isn't simply attuned to the light, but is embedded in matter and radiant with the knowledge of matter's source, the light. And this is a new consciousness. This is a consciousness that's been here in a few people, but now what's happening is that there's a massive crisis, which is an evolutionary mutation, and which is fundamentally the birth of a new kind of human being. And this birth has been known. This is the incredible thing. 
in the depths of the ancient mystical traditions. I know because for 40 years I've been studying them and I've been mining them and I've been reading weird manuscripts and weird libraries all over the world because I knew that this transition was happening a little in myself and I'd been told of its essential importance by my great teacher in whom it was happening. And over the years, I discovered that this process has been the best kept secret in the mystical traditions. It was kept secret even from some of the people in those traditions because it's such an explosive secret. And it is really that the end of human evolution is to embody the divine on earth in a body. This is the glorious, mad plan of the divine for us. And what we're going through now, the evolutionary mystics now, is the shattering birth crisis, which is also a death crisis of this new humanity. This is wild stuff. And it's in Angelus Silesius that we have the account of someone who went through this process in the 17th century. There have been others. Rumi went through a part of this process. St. Simeon, the new theologian, went through a part of this process. Jesus himself went through this process. My teacher, Bede Griffiths, went through this process. Aurobindo, the great Indian mystic, went through this process. This process is happening right now. But we don't have many people who've been through the whole process and left the most glittering, astounding revelations of what actually happened to you in you in this process. And Angela Silesius is the most extraordinary of all of them because It happened to him in his 30s in the 17th century. He was at the time a Lutheran becoming inflamed by Catholic mysticism. He later became a kind of Catholic fanatic. He was crazy. But in his 30s, he went through this astounding process and wrote these couplets, which are really telegrams from within this process. So I, at this moment, when I think this map is essential for the the flowering of our hope in the middle of all this despair for the visionary intensity of dream that we must have in order to give us the courage and the hope and the passion and the stamina to go forward. At this moment, I felt that it was really important to bring this map out of Mangela Silesius, which is the map of our evolutionary transformation. Great. Within the Christian tradition, but it's being done beyond all tradition in the core of humanity at this moment. So that's my introduction. Quite, quite an intro. So can you pull out a few pieces? Uh, I have some as well, but, I, I, but in relation to what you just said, where you're, you're, where you're drawing at this, there's a bridge between his particular, the translations in the book and how this really reverberates or resonates with respect to the crisis that we're in as a humanity and the birthing of a new divine humanity so, so that they don't just become brilliant pieces that feel disconnected from our daily experience, but become something that can fuel the transformative process within our daily experience. Absolutely. The most important thing is what I've just said. The most important thing is to try and understand at a visceral level, beyond reason, that the crisis that we're living through is a crisis that has a double nature. It is a death that is a birth, and it's a birth of an unprecedented possibility out of unprecedented chaos. And this kind of paradoxical crazy dance is the very nature of the divine dancer himself, herself. This is the nature of reality. 
that's the first thing to really wrap your heart mind around. And it changes everything if you can, because it makes the challenges and ordeals and despairs and wild pressures and enormous stresses of being alive at this moment meaningful, not just in terms of heartbroken reaction to a massive death that is taking place, but as contractions of a birth process. And when you start living your life, realizing that you're going through not the death process, but the contractions of a mysterious birth process, then you find a wholly new level of hope and strength and joy and stamina and courage and guts to be able to see your experience and feel your experience and live your experience with a broader and more spacious understanding. Trust that the incineration of the old that's happening in you is not the end of everything, but the beginning of a new mystery. That's very important. Then the second thing that is absolutely essential to understand is something that is really at the core, I think, of what you're bringing through too. And that is that the key is in what has been most abandoned and neglected. The key is in the body. The key is in the cells of the body. The key is in what we are just as we are by living life. Because that's where unity expresses itself most resplendently. And if you really wrap your heart mind around that, then you understand what Kabir, for example, means when he says, sit nobly on the seat you are. Don't look for the solutions anywhere but in the depths of yourself, in the depths of the heart and its revelation, but in the depths even more of the very substantial whirlwind of cells, of light energy that you yourself are. And when you start living your life ordinarily from that knowledge that you are walking light energy, embodied light, then an extraordinary new level of courage comes to you. An extraordinary new level of self-acceptance comes from you. And you also have, as you point out again and again in beautiful passages in your book, you also are graced a much more spacious container in which to hold the turbulence of your emotional, sexual, and political and economic life. If you can, within that acceptance of your ordinary divinity, live that divinity with a much more spacious consciousness. This is practical stuff. But now listen to what he says, and this is so extraordinary. In the sea, all is sea even the smallest drop. So tell me what holy soul in God will not be God. He's saying something so radical and revolutionary, but if you really follow his logic and follow the logic of his mystical unfolding, you'll see that it applies to you really right where you are right now listening to this. If all is sea, if all as all of the great mystics who have ever woken up tell us is light energy, and I've seen this light energy, I know that this is true, millions have seen it. If all is see, if that is the fundamental nature of reality, that it is the field, the quantum field, a vast ocean of light energy, then even the smallest drop is also see. 
And if that smallest drop could be characterized as your soul, the soul that's listening to me speaking now, you speaking to me as I speak to you, then that soul is also of the substance of the light energy of the universe. And that soul is also potentially God, because it can be godded through grace, expanded to immeasurable mysteries of understanding through the workings of grace. That, if you can grasp it, if you can even begin to begin to believe it, changes the way you live everything in your ordinary life. It changes the way you'll be listening to this right now. If you could just take a breath and hear that first line, all is see, all is light energy. You listening, this is light energy speaking. We're in this web of embodied life energy. In the sea, all is sea, even the smallest drop. That means you right now, you are sea. You are the substance of the embodied light energy of the universe right now. And you are with that, in that, inseparably forever. That will change everything, just knowing that then. So tell me what holy soul in God will not be God. It's a lovely play because he's saying, obviously, the holy soul in God is God because it's part of God, but also that by being in God in the way it is, it's capable of being expanded extravagantly in vast inner experience through grace. And this is really the nature of the amazing, strange nature of our essential soul. And nobody put it better than Shams of Tabriz when he said, oh my God, it's such a gorgeous phrase what he said. He said, the world of God is a world of endless expansion. And that means that if we can really comprehend right now that we are part of this vast sea, a hologram of the sea, then we can begin to imagine just what would be possible through the operation of grace and power of that sea on us, through our soul waking up to its essential identity, and then opening the whole of the being, heart, mind, and body, to being irradiated and transformed. This is the great secret at the heart of the mystical traditions. And this is why grounded spirituality is such an essential foundation, because you cannot come near this secret without blessing the body and loving the body and celebrating the body's amazing miracle of being the embodied radiance itself. Well, then clearing, clearing whatever emotional debris there is that prevents you from accessing this way of understanding reality. Constantly, constantly, constantly clearing. Isn't that how you experience it? It isn't that you clear it once, it's that you learn through grace how to clear it, and so that you can experience more and more of the power of your essential nature. But I know that you know something very, very exciting about this process, because I've found it in your own writing and in your own talking to you, and that is that there's a very mysterious way in which opening to the vastness of your shadow, for example, can immeasurably expand your realization. It doesn't limit you when you realize how flawed and broken and shattered and traumatized you are. It actually makes you so much vaster in your tolerance, in your compassion, in your understanding of why people are the way they are, why they do what they do. 
that that shattering knowledge becomes a doorway into far deeper understanding through grace of how the mystery works and of how you mm-hmm. work in union, in heartbroken, amazed, joyful union with other embodied divine beings. I feel as though, you know, one of the reasons, there's many reasons people do work within the shadow. Some of it is to clear the debris that obstructs their lens and that prevents them from recognizing their path and their purpose, all of that. But I, I feel like there's something else that happens in the, when I've gone into the deepest, dark, darkest places and been able to hold to that uh, yeah. longer, longer and more deeply and with more flavor in a way than at times before, I feel as though my capacity to be truly present for all of what this is expands. It's a maturation process. And it also is a maturation process to learn how to hold to the light and to the ecstatic state and to go deeper and longer and not turn against it, not turn away from it, not be frightened of the vulnerability that lives in the heart of it. To me, it's you, you keep working in both of those places to expand the container until you ultimately realize and have an experience of all of this as something that you can actually access and hold within the self itself. That's it. That's right? It. So when I was younger, when I would go into... Embodied, yes. Right. So when I was younger and I would, the wound would, like the abandonment wound, whatever the wound is, everyone yes. has, whatever the wounds are. Same wound, yes. Well, often. But so, you know, I could only go so far, get so close to that very the painful, almost demonic feeling material, this horrible yes. suffering. Before I had to disconnect, dissociate, beat ice cream, you know, do transcendent bypass, meditate, whatever the fuck I had to do. And eventually, and, but I could sense within myself that there was a way in which I wasn't just not tending to the wound material, but that I was also holding back my expansion on all kinds of other levels. And yes. then as I grew and expanded my container to hold the space for all of that, I felt as though somehow that was a portal to my being able to hold all of everything or something. Yes. Yes. And then I could begin to access and understand what Silesius is talking about. That is that I am the God self too. all of whatever that is. But in that place of resistance to being able to access all of those emotional threads, for example, um, I couldn't get anywhere close to that realization. No, no, no. You have to come down and do the work that you had done. And then it opens yeah. up in its own mystery to this much larger holding consciousness, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. I just feel like you're, you, you know, it's the way I've often thought about it and, and written about it is, you know, to find this place where the oceans of essence meet the individual droplet of meaning. And to find a way to begin to understand that they really are indistinguishable from themselves. Two sides of the same phenomenon. Yes. Yeah. So the bypass world is trying to take me to the oceans of essence while before I have claimed, expanded, grounded, healed and transformed my individual droplet of meaning. That's why I'm opposed to it. Not because I have a problem with connecting to the ocean and the oneness, but because I feel like if I'm not doing it from a somewhat intact somewhat worked through, somewhat expansive, individuated self, my experience of the oneness, I just kind of get washed out in the heart. Oh, I hear you. That's so important. But if I do the work within the... aspects of your work, yes. Yeah. And if I do the... So it's not... you know. So we may all be wanting, talking about even the bypass uh, languages, about moving in a similar direction. But my idea of how we get there is very different. I think Silesius and all the mystics of the evolution and transfiguration process would absolutely agree with you because they all believe in what I describe as the 
three-part path that I sketched a little bit in your... You did, in the book forward. Yeah. Fundamentally, this is the ancient the alchemical path. Right. Yep. And that's the path of awakening to the transcendence, realizing this is a partial realization. Partial realization. That understanding, inner standing that you gain through that amazing grace, down into the illumination of your mind, down into the extraordinary opening of your heart, and down increasingly into embodied consciousness, clearing away all of the obstacles to that embodied divine consciousness. This is very tough work. This is the work at the core of alchemy. This is the work at the core of Aurobindo. This is the work at the core of what Bede did. This is the work at the core of what Silesius did. You cannot do the work or have the work done to you of the divinization process without accepting the need to embrace all the turbulence of the emotions, all the pain hidden in the body, all the trauma stored in the body, all the shattering sex hatred and body hatred of diseased patriarchal traditions. They, all of that has to be taken on. And the good news is it can be taken on if you have a large, spacious, transcendent awareness to hold the struggle of taking it on and expanding to hold it. So that's I mean, how I, I mean, I mean if, it, if it's all, I mean, if it's all God, that's yes, all exactly. God too. I mean, it's just, that too. has to be. Yes. It has to be. Right? Yeah. It has to be. And anything right. else is, is dualism. And anything and, else and separating is non-dualism. Exactly. And, and that's the game, right? Totally, because it creates a severance between soul and body, it creates a severance between masculine and feminine, it creates a severance between sexuality and holiness, and that creates a schizophrenia in the human race, which can easily be manipulated. What Silesius and the great mystics of transfiguration are telling us is something completely extraordinary. It is, first of all, that we are holograms of God. Secondly, that the grace that the streaming from the Godhead is capable of anything. Thirdly, there were minor evolutionary stages yet. There are vast human and divine adventures in our matter ahead. And that these transformations are potentially endless because love itself is endless. This is a vast cosmic perspective, but it's also a perspective that can transform your ordinary life once you connect with it because it can give you a sense that the enormous struggles that all of us are living through at this moment are parts of a transfiguration process, not just signs of apocalyptic collapse. And this is, I think, extremely important. I don't know whether you agree with me. I'd love to ask you this question and then invite you to choose a poem. I think that I feel, and I feel I know more and more this, as things get darker, as so many of our hopes get smashed, as we face the abyss of apathy in the human race, as, 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 it's absolutely essential to, for me to go deeper and deeper into my inmost experience of the divine grace and into my deepest knowledge from mystical experience and into my deepest knowledge from the study of the world's mystical traditions to dream as big and as wild and as holy and as inspiring and as vibrant and as ecstatic and as full and as golden and imaginable dream in the face of the chaos and the darkness and the horror and the madness. And the more I find myself able to do this, the more I find my life in mysterious ways echoing this. So there's a connection, it seems to me, and this is something that the quantum physicists are 
definite about between the kind of intention that you place in your consciousness and on your consciousness from the very deepest levels of intention and the way in which reality itself dances with you. And this is crucial knowledge for us at this moment where when if we can't dream this great evolutionary dream with the great dancer, with God who is dreaming this dream, if we can't begin to notice that not only emotional and, and, and psychological transformations are taking place, but also physical transformations are taking place, expansions are taking place, sexual liberation is opening up wholly new kinds of ways of being and exploring truth. If we can't notice these, we'll be in a state of total paralysis as this crisis deepens and not be cooperating with the secret birth force within the death annihilation. How does this sit with you, something like that? I'm torn between uh, different ways of understanding this thing called the crisis right? And, and what some people call the shift. I see most human beings still at whatever stage of consciousness they were at two years ago or five years ago or 35 years ago. I know how much effort it's taking even for me to reach whatever stage I've reached and however hard it is to hold to that. I'm not sure that whatever the crisis is, is going to propel people to move beyond all those emotional holdings, oh, I, all yeah, the yeah. whole toxic stockpile, the yes. congealed material, the yes. shadowy unresolves, the misplaced aggression, the all of that, Yes, to have some profoundly rapid-fire divinization process. Those people who have done real prep work, and you're one of those people, sure. I mean, a little push, maybe, to the next level of integration. But day-to-day -day people, I see the movement in the direction of becoming more gender inclusivity is a wonderfully progressive step. I see the honoring of the feminine happening more and more. I see many things that indicate progress, but yes. we also see many things that indicate regress or a crisis of You're an unstoppable nature. You're making a lot of sense to nature. me. So for me, as much as I get earnestly and optimistically swept away by this presentation or the way in which you characterize this journey and process, I'm doubtful at this stage of human development if we're going to get there in the next 5,000 years. Oh, I, I think that if it's going to happen... It's and and if we're going to survive to get there. And, uh, yeah, I agree. I think what I'm trying to present, and I think that all of the great evolutionary mystics that I've studied and deeply known in, in Breed Gifford's case, would say, this is being offered to us. This is part of what's possible. And it's not a fiction. It's not poetry. It's not a fantasy. There are people who are living this, who know this. Whether or not the whole of humanity can join with this or enough can join with this, we simply right. haven't the slightest idea. There is yep. no one on right. the including the Dalai Lama, I think, who knows whether or not we will survive. But the responsibility of someone who does know that it is going on, but such as I do know it is going on, the responsibility of someone who glimpses the glory just from the side of the side of one of his hundred eyes, as I do, has the responsibility to speak about this. Because oh, absolutely. Because fire people absolutely. to realize that vast though this transformation seems to be, it is happening. And there are signs which you can see of it and feel of it. And that that can give you tremendous hope and energy in the face of what can often seem like terminal madness. It may be that the people who gain hope and inspiration in that way tilt 
the field, tilt what actually is happening. We're in no man's land at this moment. We have simply no idea where anything is going to turn out, but we do have clues as to the power of living a concrete, grounded, visionary life. Hundred Listen, and, we, and there are there are people who come along, and you've been one of them for decades, Andrew, who really gets this and holds this vision of divine possibility for humankind that, and I hold that vision also. Oh, you and, do, but you but, also are very realistic and it's helpful for people to hear that. Yeah. But it's also important to let the two coexist. Uh, absolutely. I right. have despair and I could say exactly what you said, but that I could, for me, they're not separate. They're two analyses of the same situation. They're both real. Right. Right, absolutely. That's what's so amazing about this situation. Well, I think... I both think, end game and new game at the same time. Absolutely. So I think we have to do both. We have to yes. paint a very clarified vision of possibility for where humankind can move toward. Yes. And at the same time, we have to have a very pragmatic... That's right. Grounded, no bullshit understanding of where they that's are right. and what steps they need to take to get there. And so, that's why you wrote your book. That's and why we I wrote had this conversation when I right. came to stay with you a little bit and we chatted and I said, one of the reasons why I love Grounded Spirituality is that it is truly the foundation for this adventure because without that cleaning of these stables that you ask us all to do in Grounded Spirituality, there can be no preparation for this. And you can't go into this territory of transfiguration without being always brought back to Grounded Spirituality. That's the condition of it. And I think this is what, what links our work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Andrew, well, there's many things that link our work. Choose another poem. Choose Basilius's poem that you love. Let's elevate the souls. Well, I, absolutely. Well, I like this one just because I'm so tired of language. Um, friend, if you want to express... One of the great things about these epigrams... Sorry, Danny, sorry. No, you go sorry, ahead. Sorry. Okay. No, no, I just love this. I'm mean, glad that you said what you said, because these are 108 epigrams, but each epigram contains a lifetime of deep experience. Absolutely. So in two lines, sometimes four lines, he can say the whole damn thing. And it's so thrilling, that level, isn't it, of communication to someone who loves words, but is also fatigued by words. It's great to get to something as naked and violent and truthful as this. See, we can't even get to no words. I mean, that's the two of us. Okay. That's the truth. <laughs> Friend, if you want to express eternity's essence, you'll have to forget all words. Hmm. It's nice. I like that. It's an invitation to um, not just to silence for me, but also to understand that despite whatever my capacity is for language, that I can never fully use language to explain or to articulate well, the inexplicable. It actually goes further, I think, too, because it's saying, if you truly want to express eternity's essence, you have to become eternal. You have to become mm. deathless. You have to have your knowledge of deathlessness soak your every pore and radiate eternity like a Ramana Maharshi or a Dalai Lama, someone who, by their very presence, communicates timelessness. So it's not just forgetting all words. Not, it's going into a deep immersion in presence, so deep that you, your human presence resonates and reverberates with divinity. So let me read another one, speaking of which. 
What is eternity? <laughs> Neither this nor that. Not this moment, nor a thing, nor nothing. It is, I don't know what. I love that, man. Yeah, I think that's my favorite one. I love it for those last four words. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know what. Yeah, and it, it's so beautiful because if anyone has ever had, and I'm sure many of you listening have had an experience of eternity, you know that amazement, that awe that comes over you when you begin to begin to glimpse something of the mystery that, oh God, I don't know what this is. How could I ever know what this is? Nice. And that is so amazing because that's the kind of radical humility that's needed for this evolutionary process and that is so lacking. One of the I, things I love Silesius for, and there are many, many great poems about it, is the necessity of staying in what John of the Cross calls unknowing knowing, really peeling your brain of all of your ways of constructing and ordering reality so that you can be awake each second to the miraculous freshness of what unfolds. And unknowing knowing is so crazily hard for most people, even illumined people, that they never get anywhere near that I don't know what that he's talking about, anywhere near that kind of completely radical, constant, humble receptivity to everything that keeps you expanding to outrageous possibility beyond anything that you could even begin to imagine. Well, that's the imbalanced masculine. That's the ungrounded that's patriarchy, the, the one that's you know, only developing one pathway of mastery while nullifying all other elements of the experience. So you know, they find something they can master. So there is a knowing. There is not a not knowing until they actually surrender to all the threads of reality. And then they realize that they can't absolutely ever know all of that. You know? That's certainly part of it. But it isn't the greater part of it that Without mystical opening, you will always be tempted to understand, to think you understand something. Mm -hmm. And that will always trap you in these terrible little boxes, which people call philosophies and religions. Once you allow yourself or are given by grace a real opening, you fall on your knees before something you now know definitively that you can never know and never understand. And that immediately, paradoxically, expands your intelligence at the speed of light. It's a quantum birth of a new level of intelligence, which doesn't have to know, but trusts that it will be given whatever it needs to know at whatever stage it is unfolding. And that's the evolutionary intelligence, because when you're in that state of, I know that there is a mystery birthing something completely new, which I don't understand. And I know that I will be given enough to understand it without ever beginning to understand it completely. Then you're in a position of constantly open, refined receptivity, which gives you access to the most astounding realizations and information. Mm. That's the new intelligence, isn't it? That's born out of this grounded spirituality. I remember in my, you know, my teens, how utterly essential it was for me to appear to know. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was, and then in my well, I'm afraid it lasted beyond my teens. 
But one of the great things about this crisis is that anybody who thinks they understand anything that's going on really must be either in a lunatic asylum now or going crazy, because the only way that you can stay human is realizing that we cannot understand what's happening at this moment, really. We can intuit the deeper levels, but everything that happens is a new derangement of any understanding, which is why the kind of evidence in Silesius is so important. Let me read you a couple of others that I love. I love this one. One of the things I absolutely love about Silesius is that if you're really reading him, he detonates your sense of importance. Because one of the things that happens in the higher reaches of mystical experience is that your whole sense of human specialness is absolutely exploded because you realize that, as he says, the tiniest little worm is as much God as you are. The little flea is totally divine no more, no less divine than the Dalai Lama. The whole universe is blazing with God. So here's a poem which is so stunning, I think. There's not a grain of sand so insignificant, not a point so tiny, where the wise don't see God's blazing totality. There's not a grain of sand so insignificant, not a point so tiny, where the wise don't see God's blazing totality. You know, when you talk about and write about and love up grounded spirituality, that's the essence of grounded spirituality, isn't it? That everything that is, is already so vibrant with sacredness. Yeah. yeah. And we don't do that in order to self-shame or diminish the significance of this human experience. No! We do it to contextualize it. Even more than that, I mean, to contextualize it, but also eventually to live the human experience as a divine blessing, as a divine miracle, as a conscious unfolding of grace, sumptuous, amazing, astounding grace. God, here I am sitting, talking to my friend across this amazing thing called the internet. The golden light is pouring in. The world is crazy, but this joy is alive right now, and it has never been born. It will never die. It is eternal truth and reality. And living in that doesn't sign you off from life, because that actually reveals what life really is, an explosion of sacred joy energy, constantly reinventing itself in the most staggering way. That's life. I have a beautiful one to read from your book. Um, Please. I love this. That, that I was born of God is beyond doubt. So you don't need to ask me who my mother is. <laughs> so you don't need to ask, ask me who my, my mother, mother is. <laughs> yeah. Let me read you a couple. And then let's finish this in beauty. Thank you so much for opening your group up to this book, because I feel that if people do make the leap to buy it, they'll find an absolutely extraordinary friend on the journey, a friend that I've found immensely, immensely helpful in my life. I'm going to read two that I really, really, really love. In fact, I'm going to read the first two. What God is, no one knows. 
God is neither light nor spirit. God is not bliss, not unity, not what we call deity. God is not wisdom, not reason, not love, not will, not goodness. God is not a thing, not a nothing, nor is God essence. God is what neither I nor you nor any creature can understand without becoming what God is. <laughs> That's so amazing. That's it right there. No more words, no more formulations. Plunge in, expand, and you'll find out, and it'll never end. And then this one. Absorb yourself into the deepest depths of God's humility. You'll be the highest radiance of all heavenly sparks. And that's such an extraordinary poem because it really shows, I think, the essence of this journey from human into divine human, that it's a journey not of vanity or of narcissism or of pride in any way. It's a journey of increased and increasing abandonment and surrender to a mystery of grace so overwhelming that it constantly keeps you on your knees in adoration and in awe and in self-offering towards it. And that is really the greatest gift that these evolutionary mystics give us beyond the map, beyond the encouragement, beyond the sense that, oh my God, something amazing is happening through all this chaos. The greatest gift that they give us is the way they model the relationship of the lover to the beloved, the way they model this awe, this amazement, this freshness, this innocence of astonishment, and this constant, constant purification of the whole being so as to stay as humbly open to miracle as possible. And to remind ourselves that we're indistinguishable from the divine is, this is a message that almost none of us have ever received growing up in this world. And it takes a lifetime, in my experience, to even begin to realize what it really means. And what it really means cannot be put into any words, but it is something so astounding that it can permanently change your whole way of seeing and living the smallest details of your life. So, dear friends out there, how can you possibly resist buying Becoming God? 108 translations of Andalusius. Please enjoy them. It took a long time for me to be able to understand how to get them to you, but I feel I have. And this is a book that will send lightning flashes into secret parts of your own being to wake that your own being up to its grandeur and glory and wild, ordinary, messy fabulousness. And if they go deep enough into it, they too will have a kind of a floral thing growing outside of the back of their head. Oh, absolutely. That comes with, that comes with experience. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for bringing all these brilliant beings back to life for us, um, as you have. And I know how determinedly you have found these great mystics, mystics that have perhaps never really been brought into um, the collective's awareness. and stayed with them, translated them, burned the translations when they didn't feel like you were quite where you wanted to be with them, and staying with this process until these books come to help the world. I mean, there are, there's almost really nobody out there doing this the way that you do this. And uh, thank you. so I thank you um, on behalf of the divine 
human within me and within all of us. Yeah. Bless you, my darling. And thank you for your beautiful work and for your noble, wild voice out there. Thank you. God bless you. Through stars, the arrows come straight for.